Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, March 2nd. It is 10.30 a.m., and it is time for Bible study. That's right. Today we are starting Revelation chapter 3, and today we are looking at the letter to the church at Sardis. So uh, there's seven letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. I think today we're, we're going to do Sardis. Maybe next week, we'll, maybe we'll take, there's two more letters in chapter three when we might take one letter at a time because they're, they're packed with theological meat. They are so good, so much stuff to talk about. Uh, so that's what we're doing today. Revelation chapter three, it's only verses one through six, uh, letter to the church at Sardis. But before we get started, today is Ash Wednesday. It is the beginning of Lent. And so I invite you all to enter into uh, the season of Lent, a Lenten journey of 40 days that culminates uh, with Holy Week and Easter. And so uh, for those who are members of Abiding Grace, my congregation, in the past, I know some people have given things up. There have been some you know, denial of sweets and that kind of thing, which is great and whatever it is. But, but this year I ask you or suggest that Instead of giving something up, add something to your life and let that thing be fellowship. Find relationships. We have been in a pandemic for the last two years now, and it is hard to change habits. And now is a time where we can get back into fellowship, get back into community, being a part of something. Now, I recognize that not everyone is ready to come out uh, to, to leave their homes, but, but if you are, now is a great time to add some fellowship to your life. And here at Abiding Grace Lutheran Church, that starts tonight, six o'clock. We're having dinner. Uh, would love to see you there. Dinner at six, worship at seven. Uh, if you're if you're local and would, uh, would like to join us, we'd love to have you. So there you go. Okay. Revelation chapter three. Let's get started. Verses one through six. Today we will, uh, uh, actually we're just going to look at verses one through five, but a little background information first. Sardis. Sardis was a city uh, in Western Asia, very close to, uh, I guess, what is like modern day Greece, uh, probably in Western Turkey. And um, it was a wealthy city. It was a wealthy city. It was uh, situated on uh, an intersection of a lot of important roads and trade routes. And uh, and it was known as a a place of wealth and luxury and comfort and immorality. They often go together, right? Right. Wealth, comfort, and immorality. Uh, William Barclay said its people were notoriously loose living, notoriously pleasure and luxury loving. Sardis was a city of decadence, right? So uh, so a little background about the city, and now let's jump right into verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. But you are dead. Well, Scripture only says it once. I added a second time for dramatic effect. So Jesus knew the, the, the church at Sardis. Jesus knew their deeds. I know your works, says Jesus. I know what you've done, and I know that you have a name, right? You have a reputation, People see you and they think you're up to things, right? They think you're a church that's doing things. But here, I tell you, you are dead. I see through all your stuff and I see that you are actually dead. 
Whoa, what? A church that is dead. What does Jesus mean by that? It's interesting. We look back at the other letters so far, and Jesus encourages them and tells them to, you know, hold 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 fast against the work of the devil or all but Jesus is like I don't even think the devil's worried about you cuz you're dead. I think the devil's moved on cuz you're you're dead. You're dead. So so the question is what does a dead church look like? What does a dead church look like? Now, mainstream media uh, often talks about the church, the how the mainstream denominations are dying. And so they talk about churches that are in decline. And so if we look at today's understanding of what a dying church looks like, or what a church that is dead looks like, it's a church that doesn't have any members, that no, nobody goes there to church anymore, right? Or that a church is in decline, where, you know, it used to have a thousand members, now it has 700, and, the, you know, the, there's a graph that, that shows that in two years it'll have 500 or whatever. But really, that's not what a dying church is. You can be a small church and do wonderful ministry, right? And you can be a really big church and be dead. So what does it mean to be dead? Well, it, it means that you've lost your sense of mission. So, you know, there are, there are some churches that might appear to be growing and appear to be alive and vibrant, but, but they're not really doing what they're called to do. They're not being who they're called to be, Right. They're more focused on things like political agendas, or they're more focused on, on like spreading this prosperity gospel of wealth or you know whatever else it may be, instead of serving others for the sake of the kingdom and sharing the gospel, right? You can do that in a small group of people. You can have the right motivations in a small group of people and be a church that is vibrant and alive. It just you're not a church that's growing. That's okay. You know, but you can be a church that is growing that is also dead. You can be a church that is growing, that has lost its sense of mission, that has lost its sense of who they're called to be and what they're called to do. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead, says Jesus. <laughs> wow. Verse two has to go up from here, right? Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have, found, I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Okay, so they're not totally dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Wake up. So, so Jesus said, most of you are dead, but you're not fully dead. It reminds me of the princess bride, right? He's almost dead, but he's not completely dead or whatever it was, uh, Billy Crystal playing. I hope I didn't give that point, point, uh, plot twist away. I mean, the movie came out 35 years ago, but he's almost dead mostly dead, but not completely dead. Uh, uh, so it's almost like, it's almost like um, if, if anybody watches 1883, the, 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 the show, uh, the, the Yellowstone prequel, right? Uh, somebody gets bit by a snake, right? Somebody gets bit by a snake in their leg and their leg is dying and they have to cut it off because that death will infect the rest of the body. So, so you cut off the part that is dead and you continue so that the, other, so that the rest can live. Uh, and so that's what Jesus, cut off the part that is dead so that the rest can live. I'm not giving up on you. It's not too late. You're not completely dead. Uh, but he says, I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. And so basically what Jesus is saying is you, you need to get better at what you're doing, what you're doing. Um, 
you know, but, but the question is, how do we know if our works are up to God's standard? How do we know if our works are perfect? Well, we're never going to know that for sure. We're never going to be certain of it, but, but what are we motivated by? Are we motivated by sacrificing of our time for the sake of lifting up the gospel? Are we motivated by like, you know, giving our time so that we can get things back? You know, what's your motivation? And I think when we, when we were having our Bible study last night, someone brought up a great point here that this reminds of, of selling indulgences, right? The Catholic Church five, 600 years ago was selling indulgences. They were making people feel terrible about themselves, making them feel like the only way that they could get into heaven is if they bought these indulgences. And oh, by the way, the motivation behind that was so that the Catholic Church could raise a ton of money to build these giant cathedrals. Right. So what was the motivation behind it? It wasn't the gospel. Right. It was to, to manipulate people, uh, to bring shame and guilt and then to exploit people. Right. And to take all the money that they had. Uh, that that's that's the kind of work that is not up to God's standard. But if we go out and actually help people and we are motivated by the desire to help people, then our works are acceptable in God's sight. So uh, verse three. Okay, moving on, moving on. Verse three. Remember then what you heard, uh, remember then what you received and heard, obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at the hour I will come to you. Remember what you received and heard. Remember what it was like the first time you heard the gospel and go back to that. Go back to that. Uh, repent, change from the way you are, the, the, the things you're doing, Go back to the way you were at the very beginning. If not, I'm going to come like a thief, which means I'm going to come at a time you don't expect me at all. And I'm going to, I mean, you're, you're dead. and You're going to be done. The church is going to go away. And so First uh, Thessalonians 2.13 is a great example of what he's talking about. Paul writes, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So accept that with joy. Accept that truth, that word of God, and go back to that. Go back to the joy of that. And go back to the ways in which you first received it. Uh, that, that, and then let your works come from that. Let your works come from that place of joy so that you are motivated by sharing that joy of the gospel with others. All right, so Sardis is not off to a good start. Sardis is not off to a good start. Let's say that. Okay. Verse four. It's going to, it's about to get a little better. It's about to get a little better. It's not all bad for Sardis yet. You have still a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. You still have a few people who are okay. You still have a few people. In the previous chapter, we saw in Pergamos and Thyatira that Jesus is writing, you're doing really well, right? But you got that Jezebel. You got to get rid of that Jezebel. So there was that there's there's a, a group of community doing a community doing well, but there's one or two bad apples, right? Basically, though, what he's saying now is in Sardis, there's a lot of bad apples, but there's still a couple of you who are good, right? There's still a couple of you who are doing what they're supposed to do. And Jesus promises they're going to walk in white garments, right, with him. They will walk with me dressed in white, 
and white garments are a sign of righteousness, and it'll be a symbol of their righteousness in Jesus. Not of their righteousness in their own, but of their righteousness in Jesus. This goes back to Zechariah chapter 3, where the high priest Joshua uh, is being accused by Satan because of verse 3 of Zechariah 3, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel of the Lord. And so Satan was accusing him, your clothes are filthy, therefore you are filthy. And verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And to him he said, see, I have taken your guilt away from you and I will clothe you with festal apparel. I will give you the right clothes to wear. So we are made holy and righteous by the grace of Jesus. And so those who are still good people in Sardis, those who still are faithful and understand what it means to be to find joy in the gospel, they will walk with Jesus dressed in white, not because they are the perfect person, but because Jesus will make them righteous through the grace, uh, through the grace of God. So uh, again, a nice allusion back to Zechariah chapter, uh, chapter 3. All right, verse 5, and we'll stop here today. If you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Excuse me, what? What did you just say, Jesus? What? If you Okay, so if you overcome, right? If you, if you return to the way, the, you know, the joy that you had when you first received the, the gospel, and if you turn things around, then you will be like those in white robes. Okay, so if you get the faith right, you'll be like those who, who have it right now. Okay, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will not blot your name out of... So interesting, Book of Life. Where does this come from? Ancient cities used to have a book of the living, uh, basically a book of the people who lived in their city. And your name was in there if you lived in the city, unless you died or were convicted of a crime, at which point your name would be removed. And so basically Jesus is saying, you will have citizenship in heaven. Your name will be written in in the, the Book of Life in heaven. And so your citizenship will be in heaven. But, but, can it be blotted out? Can we lose our salvation? Kind of goes against what we believe that in baptism we are called the, and claimed as children of God. But can we lose that? Can we lose that? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, scripture seems to say that we can't, that we're not going to. But this is another, another version of what scripture says. So uh, I don't know what. Here's what we can say. Remain faithful and you don't have to worry about it, right? Uh, Remember the joy of when you first became a Christian. Remember the joy of hearing the gospel and let that joy be your motivation for life. Uh, Share that joy with others. Let others know why it is that you believe and what it is that you believe and share that with others and don't worry about losing your salvation. Uh, Interesting text though. Interesting interesting letter to the uh, church at Sardis. So we'll stop there. Again, it is Ash Wednesday. Would love to see you in worship tonight at 7, wherever you may be. Hopefully you uh, find time today to to get to worship and uh, to have the ashes placed on your forehead to hear the words, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. Uh, It's a reminder of our mortality, but it's also a reminder of the promises that God has made to us. Our names are written in in heaven's book of life, and that is where our true citizenship is. So we thank God for that today and every day. Amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful Ash Wednesday. Take good care of yourselves, 
And we will see you next week as we get into the second part of uh, chapter three of Revelation to the church at Philadelphia. Not the Philadelphia you're thinking of, but to the church at Philadelphia. Uh, we will do we will touch on that next week. Take good care of yourselves. See you then.